Clip your last piece and dig in because the runout starts now. The Runout Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Research. Outdoor Research was born from the cold, snowy womb of the Alaska Range by climbers up against some of the harshest conditions in alpinism. Since those days on the edge in the 80s, OR has committed itself to creating apparel and gear not just for keeping conditions at bay, but for making sure you have fun and look good along the way. Beauty and function are two guiding principles at OR. The result? Gear you can count on during your deepest adventures and most satisfying journeys. Check it all out at OutdoorResearch.com or your favorite local shop. We all know about whales, sperm whales, humpback whales, blue whales, killer whales. Just kidding. Those are dolphins. But what about whales the country? What's going on there? I had to go and find out for myself. This is Andrew Bisharat. I'm here with Chris Calouse, and you're listening to The Runout. So we're we're basically reviewing a country today. Or it's not it's not a country. It's like an autonomous region. What do we even call it? I don't know. It's unclear. I, I spent a week over a week there, and I still don't know. You don't know. Um, but it's uh, part of the UK, but it's its own country. Uh, even though it's mostly ruled by England, but there's other things that they get to do on their own. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to get anyone uh, in the UK to open up. I think and and just be explain something clearly right like just we talked about brexit a lot like that was in the net well we talked about trump mostly oh god because everyone is curious about that and that's the only thing on the bbc but we also talked about brexit too and I, i i didn't really know exactly what that meant you know so i was curious to just hear from the horse's mouth so to speak like what what's up with brexit and i'd be like well what what is brexit and everyone would be like hard to say it's like well what does that mean i I don't know oh really (laughs) and so i didn't really ever get a clear answer about what (laughs) what's going on well i've I've made mistakes publicly before about about the uk versus ireland versus england scotland all that stuff and i'm actually they're very quick to i've gotten plenty of emails um but i've gotten so many i've forgotten again so we apologize and, and well, didn't you once on the Enormacast, like, <laughs> didn't you Here we go. do something where, you know, that would cause someone to maybe want to punch you in the face over there? Do you remember this? Um, I believe that I was, uh, yeah, we you should were... preface this conversation with me putting my foot in my mouth, like I always do, uh, saying something to the effect of just how I don't respect trad climbing in the uk oh, okay yeah, i got gotcha. you yeah yeah that was something like that i tend to pick on the canadians I just, well i thought it was all like top roping with, oh right yeah so well we're going to talk about that yeah, today so we can right? get yeah. into that i mean i tend to pick on the canadians because you know i just figure they're they're less likely to just come up and like put their beer down and punch me in the face right, than yeah. someone from yeah. wales certainly yeah there's a word for people like you exactly <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know you're in Wales uh, when the road signs change and the English is secondary and you see the Welsh, these crazy Welsh words that you you just can't pronounce. I mean, you don't even have the capacity to 
know how to pronounce right isn't it one of those languages that has a like it's missing vowels yeah there's no vowels and like two l's means uh creates a c sound so oh yeah of course (laughs) clambaris is is where we were based out of that's kind of the epicenter of welsh climbing um, and that's spelled L L A N B E R I S or something like All that. All right. Yeah, so it's and that's clam- how it's pronounced. Clambaris. All right. Yeah. See, yeah. the run out is already basically, I mean, that's a piece of climbing knowledge that I think most people has have in the U.S. have never considered. Yeah. Just how yeah, to say, it's land, it's how to say land. One, one word. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. And uh, I did get to hear a lot of people who live there still do speak Welsh. I got to hear a uh, sheep farmer. We were stuck on the side of the road for about an hour in the rain, helping out a, a damsel in distress who had crashed her car. Um, and a, a Welsh a sheep farmer came through with his dog. And so I got to hear what Welsh sounds like. And um, as he was yelling at his dog to do these amazing running, you know, 800 feet up vertical rock to get sheep off of the side of a cliff. And yeah, it's just a crazy language, unlike anything I'd heard. But yeah, the climbing there was uh, the primary focus of the trip. We had I was there for a week and I got to sample, you know, slate. It's kind of the famous or one of the famous rock types. I think that's the only place in the world you can climb on slate. And those are quarries. They're quarries. Yeah, it's like you like from oh, like a long time ago. Like people yeah. have been quarrying slate out of there for centuries, literally. Yeah, yeah. and and it, it's um it hasn't been active since the sixties. Okay. Um, and basically because Spanish slate, which everyone says is inferior there, of course, of course. Uh, it had kind of became cheaper and more widely available, but it's beautiful rock. It's, it's just amazing. And I was, I, I took home, you know, a bottle of whiskey and, uh, a bunch of like bits of slate that I'd found on the ground, all different colors. It was just really beautiful stuff. And, uh, so we went there, um, and it's like very slick, but coming from rifle, it's kind of, you're used to climbing on slick rock. So that wasn't that, um, jarring. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, it was one of the first, you know, real international trad trips I'd taken. And so it was kind of eye opening in a lot of ways to just be able to do, well, you know, I hadn't been trad climbing in a few years. So there was a, a reacquaintance period where I had to get my head wrapped around, not just you know, placing gear, but also using double ropes and the whole fucked up like system that they use there. And, uh, and by the end of it, it was just like, it was amazing. It was like a really cool, I mean, people in the UK trad climb the way that people in Sweden go skiing. It's like, everyone does it. There's mm-hmm. no, if you're a climber, you're a trad climber, right? There's it's just no, a climber. There's, it's just a climber. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, and, and everyone, I don't know if it was the, if trad climbing is a part of this or not, but everyone there is just really humble down to earth, uh, has like a real aversion to social media you know, it's kind of looked down upon, you mm-hmm. know, to, to be active or prolific on social media. And, uh, it was just, it was cool to just see the, the whole climbing scene, meet all the people, but also I felt I came away from the trip, just kind of re-energized the, in this like dirtbag spirit of the sport. And right. Was, and, and I mean, the weather's generally not very good. The weather's generally I mean, it's not part of that again, whole, which is the feature. It's not right. a, it's not a bug, you know, it's not the, it's not a, 
a thing that detracts from the experience because you end up spending so much time in a coffee shop or at at the pub with people talking all the time. It's like a very <laughs> social scene, you know, like I spent a lot of time just like hanging out, talking to people and, uh, and we got some climbing in between that. And, and don't so- they, I mean, they generally will go out and climb and like whether you and I would never touch oh, totally. in, in Western Colorado. Yeah. Like, no, we would not leave the house to go climbing. Yeah. 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 And, and it's, yeah. So it's like so, so much of what uh, Wales is, is like the opposite of, I guess, where we live here. And then the trad climbing, when we talk about it, you're, it's not just plugging cams of chalks. Yeah. It's like, that's where the art began for all that stuff. So right? we spent, um, we spent three days down in Pembroke, which is South Wales. There's North Wales and then South Wales. Mm-hmm. And, and within this like four hour range, you can climb on limestone. You can climb limestone sport. You can climb limestone trad, granite, slate. I'm not sure if they have sandstone there, but it seems like they've got a lot. It seems of- like the, the, the rain would have worn it away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we went down to Pembroke, which is limestone sea cliffs that, uh, it was just like amazing. They, they look like blank Verdone faces, um, but there's like they're riddled with opportunities for little, you know, tiny nuts. Like I, I probably placed only three or four cams there, but placed three racks of nuts on every pitch. Yeah, it sounds like my jam. Yeah, <laughs> I get accused of carrying too many nuts. Still, really? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. So that was cool. Um. I don't think so I've been track like climbing on Yeah, you repel and in. then you're above the waves, like literally the dark. Yeah, but Atlantic crashing beneath you, kind of stuff, or what? Yes, there's everything. So right. there's um, what do they call them? There's there's some like crazy word for these features where the cliff band comes inland. Mm-hmm. It's like a ravine. Okay, and if you're you know ballsy enough, you can try to jump across it. Uh, which people have like died doing like once a week, you know, someone dies <laughs> trying to do this, but and they're eulogizing <laughs> the pub that night. <laughs> so you can do stuff where you wrap down and there's the waves beneath you, like seals are in the water. Wait, you know? sorry. I laughed at that. <laughs> if you're listening and, and one of your friends or relatives died jumping across one of those things, I apologize. I didn't mean to laugh. I think it's a badge of honor. Okay. Yeah. You get some government subsidies. Uh, no, so yeah, so it's everything. You you can walk around the base of some of the crags, um, right. or you can just be at perched at a little belay stance and start start your adventure from there. And sure enough, I definitely saw like the headpoint style of trad climbing that you hear all about, where there's some like real extreme top roping shenanigans that go on, and and some of the uh, things that I saw, I think they were European climbers who had come to try to do you know E eight E nine style routes where they were top roping carrying the full rack double ropes clipped to them clipping all the gear like on top rope like full like, like just mock full leading. rehearsal yeah, yeah full rehearsal okay just to see what it's like to have all the the kit you know as they right. call it not the, not the gear have the kit with you have the ropes and all of it, what the weight is mm-hmm. but I, I i got the sense you know among some of the guys i was with the, uh, this guy ben bransby who's like one was one of the best trad climbers in the UK and about 15 years ago still is an amazing trad climber. Uh, James McAfee is like the best trad climber in the UK right now. There's this movement. It seems to move away from the rehearsed rehearsal style of trad 
and go toward more on-site of stuff that, you know, is probably like, you know, 512 plus, but death root style mm-hmm. status. But on-site, ground up. On-site, ground up. None of this yeah, none futzing of, around. Yeah, none of that. Like true deep dyed in the wool trad climbing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the future, I think, for a portion of the community. Um, but people are still, you know, still doing the headpoint stuff as well. Mm-hmm. It feels like sometimes those movements, though, they there's like they feels like there's a resurgence with a couple people. And then they, you know, it's not something that everybody jumps on board with. It's kind of like Honold was soloing. Like it, it's not it still hasn't created a wave of free soloists. Like the head pointing thing happened in Devil's Lake and still goes on, but it's still, you know, a handful or a couple guys that are like the movement. You know what I mean? I think the where the movement has life is with the locals. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, if you travel all around the world and you have a free ticket to go to any crag around the world you want, you're not going to risk your neck on a 512 plus, you know, that you might die on. Right. So people who live... <laughs> who live there this is how and their client they're trying to push the limits and this is the rock that they have right. this is the style of the rock there's too much time on the airplane to think about it <laughs> is what the problem is <laughs> like your whole your whole multi would be thinking about the route it'd be too much yeah if you can like you know drink a cup of coffee in the morning and be like all right i'm going to do this that's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, but you, I, I guess you, you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah. the, it's like you, you keep your local crack special. Right. You have to keep them special, and you have to keep the challenges alive. You know, even if mm-hmm. the per, the person who comes to visit, like, they don't have that kind of investment in in that style right. because they're just there on vacation. Right. And so, people who live there, they're trying to keep the rocks that they have interesting and hard because they don't have steep five fifteen. You know, it's it's not uh, a dime a dozen like it is in Spain, like mm-hmm. with bolts everywhere. Right. So they're trying to keep the rocks that they have really special. And I think to push it, it's not it's less about the difficulty and more about the style and trying to do it on site like an E8 or an E9. I don't think it's ever really been truly on sited. That's kind of one of the big uh one one of the next big things, right? Um, ben Brands became apparently really really close about fifteen years ago, and, and he's like, still alive. He's still he's still alive. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's is like it coming close and not doing it. Do you understand like the E grades? Fatal- no, no one does. Yeah. I I don't either. Um, <laughs> I mean, literally nobody does. <laughs> Even those guys in the pub. What I don't was think, the, like what was, quite get it? What would your if you? I'm sure you have some like basic understand. Like, isn't, how would you describe it? I mean, it's like, isn't it? you know, 12 plus ish land where the crux climbing is, you know, essentially either ground fall or, you know, your Blair has to do some big shenanigans to keep you off the ground kind of climbing. Um, and it's up there like the 12 plus range. I think, so I think that the deal, I, I don't think that's right. No, no, yeah. I don't think, I don't think. I think that the deal is it's a great... You can't even Google this, so don't bother if anybody's like <laughs> No, Googling this is the it. only... Yeah. Right, the run out <laughs> yeah. is the only place you can understand like what E-Crates is. With, um, yeah, so I think that the, the deal is, is that it tries to take into account the entirety of what the difficulties are with the route. So right. it could be heady. It could be difficult to place gear. 
and it could be difficult climbing. And so all of these factors come into play with a grade that gets like smushed into like an E grade with another like a 5C to 6A or something like that next to it. Um, and that's not, those aren't like French grades. It's not like sport climbing grade. That's just like another, it's like a, it's like the A of a 511A. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the, the range of difficulty within the 511. Mm -hmm. So like an E5, 6A would be a route that is more, that is more difficult because of the technical free climbing versus the gear. Mm-hmm. Where an E5, like 5B, would be easier technical climbing, but a lot scarier. Right. If that makes sense. It it seems to me as though it's like something that like a committee would have to arrive at. Yeah. Or it's, it's you know, very much this gut feeling. I mean, all grades are, but it, it feels like it's just, you know. Well, it's also premised on like what people find scary. Yeah. I mean, like how's, how can an E grade ever be applicable to like Honold right. or something like that? Yeah, sure. Exactly. It doesn't make sense. Right. So. Um. Yeah. So anyway, that's the, that's, those are E grades. It, and it kind of, it's kind of cool to like go travel to a place like that and be given a rack of gear and saying, what is this? Oh, this is an E3, you know? And I was like, I don't know that what that means. means. Nothing it means to me. nothing to me. Right. He's like, it's like 5'10". Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think I can do that. Am right. I going to die? I was like, am I, can I do this and am I going to die? And if the answers were yes and no, respectively, then, then, off, uh, you then, were, then off I went. Off you went, yeah. yeah. No, I think you probably have to be very careful yeah. Yeah, about playing games over there. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm sure the longer you would have stayed there the more they would have started to fuck with you well i the, i climbed in gogarth <laughs> with uh with calf james mcafee uh-huh. and f- fully sandbagged me on the first three i got okay. so pumped good for, just for them. yeah it was just they awful. owed you that yeah yeah he, <laughs> and then and uh and then we had a bunch of beers afterwards so it's all good yeah but yeah that was fun uh if if you guys don't know who he he is he's the best by all accounts, the best trad climber in the UK. Have you ever, do you know who he is? No. Yeah. You don't know no, anything. You never, about him. I mean, you mentioned him to me the other day yeah. and I was, I was like, okay, he's on sighted probably over a hundred E sevens, which like Dave McLeod has done like 15 or something like that. Ben Bransby's done like 15. Mm-hmm. So he's like far and away at the top of the game in terms of how many E grades he's on sighted. Uh, he's really close to doing every route in this book called Extreme Rock, which is um, sort of like the it's Ken Wilson's book from the 70s or 80s. Mm-hmm. And it's just documents all all of the most badass routes from that time. Um, and like the hardest of the hard in in the UK scene. Right. So there's 180 routes in this book. He's seven shy from doing them all. He got through the last very scary one, this route called Master's Wall, uh, which he almost died on when he was 19. He's 37 now. He had an experience when he was 19 where he climbed up this route and got stuck in the middle of the cliff, was unwilling to climb further and couldn't down climb. So he sat there for about an hour and a half thinking about what to do. Then, uh, And when you say sat there... 
like he's in a high, yeah, he's, he's perched in a high, in, step, right? in a high yeah. step, his foot, his right foot's on a good hold in a high step position. And then he's just crimping on like nothing. He, so he dropped the ropes. He untied both of his ropes and dropped all the gear from his harness because, uh, just to save weight and told his belayer to run around to the top of the cliff to, um, drop the ropes down to him. This is the first time either of them had been at the, at this cliff. So his belayer didn't really know where he was going. So then like, you know, two hours later, as calf is looking, you know, he's like contemplating which line down the wall he's going to take when he falls, like which, which would be the best place to jump from. He sees the ropes come into view, but they're about 15 feet just to the right. You can't quite reach him. So he's like, Oh fuck, I'm going to die looking with the, at the ropes right in view. Finally, the, the belayer kind of gets the ropes over to him. And he doesn't, he says he doesn't really remember what happened next other than he kind of wrapped his hand around the rope and slid down them and just like crumpled into the, at the base of the wall, uh, just bawling his eyes out. His belayer was like crying hysterically and lost all feeling in his, uh, fingers and toes. Like his toenails all fell off <laughs> over the next month <laughs> from <Christ. laughs> just being stuck in this position. He said he, he had been soloing a lot at that time. So he was in the headspace of being alone on right. like without ropes. So it wasn't as, uh, gripping as it would have been for me or anyone probably, you know, people who aren't soloists, but, um, still that's like my worst nightmare, you know? So twenty almost twenty years later, he goes back to finally do this route only because it's part of this, the book. The book, right? And then has another experience where he climbs up, takes like this heinous fall, nearly dies. He's like, "This route's going to kill me." Like, <laughs> but goes back again the next day and and finally does it. And this route was given the history behind this route is it was given in E seven grade by Jerry Moffat, who did the first ascent. And, uh, at the time, um, E8, I think had been established, but Jerry thought it was like nails hard. And then over the years, it's had a few ascents here and there. And Leo Holding actually onsighted it when he was in his teenage years. Um, and so calf who had climbed like, you know, hard E9, E10, that kind of stuff, wasn't treating this route like it was. The, as hard as it was, as it was, but it, it was really hard. And what he ended up figuring out is that Jerry and he had both taken a like a direct finish, basically mm-hmm. to the crux. Whereas most people had, he thinks his theory is that like Leo and other people had gone, uh, taken a traverse to the right and then climbed up, which was more E seven grade. But he thinks Jerry climbed this like version that he did, which he thinks is E9. Right. And if it was, then it would be like the first one in the UK. So it was kind of a bit of that revisionist history that. Well, I'm sure that, you know, there's probably that tradition where if there was only a couple E8s when Jerry did it, he's like, well, I'm not going right. to claim that I just like did one of the hardest routes in the country. Cause yeah. You, you know, it's like the 10 D grade in Yosemite. You just don't. You don't just bump the grade up without, yeah, like, yeah, totally. You know, some serious thought about it. So maybe he just sandbagged it at E seven and was like, "I'm not good enough to be the best, so this can't be the hardest." I route. don't know if that's Jerry. There was Jerry's yeah. mentality, but well, I don't think I, it was eventually, but yeah, maybe within maybe that, at that, like time, within yeah. that context, yeah, you know. Anyway, that was I. 
it was interesting to just go to this place, meet these people, these outstanding people, hear these stories, you know, and and uh, just get immersed in this. Well, I think and it's it, it's important because you know I've said this elsewhere, but you know, our we we took, and I say we Americans, North Americans, Canadians, Americans. Uh, there's some problem with calling us Americans, isn't there? Um, anyway, who cares? Yeah. The the fact is is that we we took our ethic, you know, as rock climbers and alpinists more from from the British than we ever did from the continental, mm. you know, from the French or from all these other, you know, climbing and alpine cultures that were coming up together with what was going on there. Mm. You know, we, I mean, obviously we we get a lot culturally from England um, with the speaking the same language. Is that but, true? Or did the, did the Yosemite people just kind of come up with rules on their own I think outside it, of the, the British I mean, I thing? think it was, you know, um, I think it was from that, yeah. like that tradition huh. in the sense of, um, especially later on with the clean climbing and all those sorts of things, yeah. they were taking cues from, from what was going on over there because, you know, the idea of an onsite or, or what a, you know, a ground up ascent, which sort of, you know, was the basis of the early seventies free climbing in Boulder, you know, in Yosemite and the gunks, these ideas of not previewing things of not hang dogging and all that sort of stuff was definitely coming from that culture mm-hmm. um versus you know the the other cultures that were were going on elsewhere yeah so it's good to be there with the at the roots you know well a lot of these i mean this route master's wall and then the route that's kind of adjacent to indian face are two of them like more storied fearsome roots where a lot of this ground up versus top-down ethic had been formulated mm-hmm. um this guy, his name was Redhead. Have you ever heard of this guy? He's no. like, yeah, he, he, yeah, this guy, Redhead, you know, he was this, I'm going to, I won't even try to explain the story because I don't know it off the top of my head, but there's some uh, backdrop where he was going ground up on this route, you know, placed a bolt at his high point, you know, that was eventually chopped by Johnny Dawes, you know, and all of these guys are like just, risking their life and limb trying to do this style of ground up climbing pushing five twelve plus grades at a time where you know that was like the cutting edge and uh ultimately like came to the point where they had to do some kind of top rope rehearsal or previewing of the moves in order to in order to do these routes that have like hooks you know protecting cruxes you know 30 foot runouts on like hooks, you know, or whatever it is. Right. <clears throat> Crazy stuff. Um, and even to this day, that route gets very few ascents and it's considered a death route. I met a young guy, 26 year old dude who had just climbed Indian, Indian face this summer. And he was telling me about how he, the route had become a quiet obsession of his where he, he wanted to do it so bad, but he didn't want to tell his friends that he was thinking about doing it because they, he felt that they would be, they would criticize him for being reckless with his own life. Right. You know? Yeah. Or they'd like institutionalize him or something. Yeah. To keep him off of it. Yeah. So I think trad climbing's alive and well, basically is, is the bottom line in, in Wales and in the UK in general. And the, the, uh, the, the Wales scene is like, it's not the Sheffield scene. Like Sheffield's all like sport climbing, training people, that kind of mentality. Uh, one thing that um, this guy Ray said that 
he had heard is that people on the West coast of countries are often like the fringe style of people of the country. For some reason, there's like a theory. I don't know where he he got this from some fortune cookie or something, but no matter what country, no matter what country. Yeah. You like, it's like the Wales is like the California, you know, of the, of the UK in Mm. a way. It's like people are moving to the West coast to just be like fringe kind of under the radar people. Um, and so I don't know, that was their, their, uh, self-description of, of, of their scene. So yeah, I'd go back. Um, definitely, uh, put it on your bucket list and hopefully you get good weather. And you have to have a pretty good solid liver to go climb there or is it? <laughs> well, coming from altitude, it's like not that oh, bad. That nice. was like the one of the, the drinking was the easiest part for me there actually. <laughs> It was the track climbing that was the toughest part. If you have a comment, topic suggestion, or just a good bit of climbing trivia, join us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash runoutpodcast. Or drop us a line at our webpage, runoutpodcast.com. 